You may know him as that British podcast guy, but he's also the CEO of Rebel Based Media, the company behind Captivate FM, which is the world's only growth-oriented podcast host. Mark Asquith has a passion for building technology to help podcasters achieve audio influence. He's hosted numerous podcasts since getting started in 2013, including a Star Wars-themed show called Spark of Rebellion and a show dedicated to helping podcasters design, launch, and grow their show called The Podcast Accelerator. As a result of his success, he's spoken all over the world, including at Harvard, TEDx, Podcast Movement, PodFest, and many more. On the show, we talk about his origin story and how his love of comics helped to pave the way for his journey as a podcaster. He shares why he's never been a fan of the tag entrepreneur and why he feels so many people are chasing the idea of being an entrepreneur without actually being an entrepreneur. He also talks about the phenomenon that most podcasters spend way too much time on the product and not enough time on the marketing. We talk about this hamster wheel of production and creation that most podcasters are on that monopolize 90% of their time that leaves only 10% of their time to actually get their show out there. He thinks that we should flip that on its head and make sure that we spend a lot more time focusing on finding the audience than we do on just creating the content. He also gives us numerous helpful tips on how to make it easier for your listeners, and he gives us a helpful framework to find listeners using what he calls the podcast discoverability triangle. I really enjoyed getting to know Mark, and I can't wait for you to learn from his wisdom, so let's jump in to the conversation. Mark, welcome to For the Love of Podcast. Well, thank you very much, Billy. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm thrilled and excited. And as I said before we got going, I always love getting to know people before I get to know them, just in doing some research and learning your story. I want to go back to 1992. You were on your way home to play some video games, Super Mario Brothers, Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> How did that lay the foundation for your love of comics and your love of Star Wars even that led to your first podcast? Tell me a little bit about your childhood and how that paved the way for the person that you became and ultimately your interest in things you would ultimately podcast about. There's probably two sides to that answer. There's a whole, what was the catalyst for the whole business side of things, which is what people normally ask. And that's kind of the same pivotal style of of moment. So I'll, I'll not answer it in the usual way that I do. I'll answer it insofar as like the mythology side of things, the connectivity stuff. So really, I've always just been interested in like stuff that connects to each other. The most obvious example right now is like things like the Marvel Universe on the movies where everything connects together. But like I've always been into that sort of stuff. You know, I was always into different kind of comics and in particular, like reading books and movies that interconnected and much later got into things like Stephen King and all that sort of stuff that then connects through the Dark Tower series, just all these interconnected things that just fascinated me. And that's kind of what got me into podcasting because it was that sort of stuff that I started talking about on on my original podcast, Two Shots to the Head. It was kind of fascinating to me because like back in the day when I was a kid, it wasn't really cool to talk about these things unless you were with people that were also clearly into them. 
But flash forward to when I got into podcasting, what, 2013, it was interesting because like loads of people that you wouldn't think would be into the geeky stuff just came out of the woodwork. Like the amount of business that I got from just talking about whether or not Kyle Rayner was a better Green Lantern than Hal Jordan was fascinating. It was kind of this, you know, this weird, like this gap in life where from about 17, 18 to being like 28, 29, like it wasn't cool to think about and talk about these things because it was like, yeah, I've grown out of these things and I'm not into this pop culture stuff. And then suddenly geeks rule the earth. <laughs> it's fascinating. But yeah, I've, I've always been into that stuff. You know, I remember playing Super Mario on the SNES and I, I remember, you know, getting a Mega Drive 2, I think, for Christmas and getting Streets of Rage 2 for it and, and the original Streets of Rage and, and just come from that era of the internet just about picking up and been able right. to chat about specific things with people that you like to speak to. And I was weird. Like I'm that, I'm that guy that, that was like 15, 16 when the internet really took hold. So it was just really interesting time for that to happen. And that's what just, that's what led me to podcasting, man. You know, I just ended up talking about stuff that I like. <laughs> right. When it's a great introduction into the world of podcasting, because we'll get into this in a little bit, but you're not wedded to an outcome as much as doing it for the love, which this show is all about, you know, doing podcasting for the love of it. Now you could build a business around it. You can think of ways to monetize and all of that's great. And we're going to talk about that. But I think the precursor to all of that happening is you have to have the passion and the heart behind it. One of the things that you've shared is that you desperately hate the word entrepreneur, which is funny to me because you yourself have started multiple businesses and have been a successful entrepreneur. But I know your your backstory is that you know money wasn't always flowing from the trees as a kid. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about your love-hate relationship with the word entrepreneur? I think it's more just, it's not with the word, it's with the chasing of the tag. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of very subtle nuance. I just want to be clear. And it's not the hating of the word. Like if Richard Branson knocks on my door and says, I'm Richard Branson, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm like, all right, fair enough. The same with Steve Jobs or Bill Gates. If they turn up and they say, this is what I do, you can say like, well, fair play. All right. Yeah. I, 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 I can see that you've done that. I think what baffles me with it, like you said, I've, I sort of had this weird relationship with money because like, I just didn't have any as a kid. Like if you look at the TEDx talk that I'd done like that, I, I do the whole story there on that. But the punchline, it wasn't really the money thing that I was really, that I really cared about. It was, turns out it was the control thing. It just so happens that if you've got a bit more money, you can have a little bit more control. It's levels. You know, you've got a bit of money, you've got enough control to change your circumstances. That is how it works. And it's not a lot of money. It's just enough to choose whether you go left or right or up or down or this is what it is. We, we've all been there. We all know that. But I think very recently over the last, you know, 10 years, the rise of the influencer and the rise of the entrepreneur online has shown that actually a lot of people, they're not chasing that control. They're chasing the idea of the control. It's like staying in a toxic relationship mm. with someone because you love the idea of having a great relationship, not the person. And that's what happens with entrepreneurs. So what they do is they forget, in my view, to build the business. Like I remember someone years ago, okay, saying to me, like we had this big blazing argument with this business advisor and I would still argue the same with her today. She said, so I ran a web business. My first ever business was a design and digital business. It's, I don't know, I was maybe 23, 22. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, well, what's your capacity? I said, I don't really have a capacity. She's like, of course you do. Like, we need to do some projections. I was like, well, I mean, we can do if you want, but I don't have a capacity. I can tell you now I don't have a capacity. And she was like, well, what do you mean? Like, you can only do so many websites at a time. I was like, yeah, I can only do so many websites at a time, but my business can't. I can hire as many people as I need to do them and get the freelancers in and I can scale the business that way. And she's like, all right, I never thought of that. You know, but, and, and we had this blazing argument to get to that point. Like that story mm -hmm. I just told, like in the middle of it was a massive argument around 
why I could do what I was saying. And she was like, no, you can't because it says here on this form that this is not the answer to what I've asked. Like it's a yes, no, up, down, left, right. This is the answer. Very binary answer. I was like, well, that's just simply not the case. So the back of that came and she was, she described me as someone. She said, oh, he's very entrepreneurial. And I was like, no, I'm not. I just, I'm not entrepreneurial. I just, I work, I run this business and I'm a small business owner. And that's the key thing. An entrepreneur can spin things up and prove that they can do it time and time and time again, in my view. All right. Mm -hmm. And the point that I'm always getting to with this is that it's fine to be an entrepreneur, but make sure you really are an entrepreneur before you start saying you're an entrepreneur. We've had so many customers in the past, man, that will say, like I can think of one in particular who changes their business every six months. To this day, I said, what, what are you doing? Well, I'm an entrepreneur, aren't I? Well, you, really, you're not really giving anything enough time to stick. You're chasing the word entrepreneur, but have yet to make a penny. Like make the penny first, then let's figure the other stuff out. Like if you want to be an entrepreneur, make the penny first. And there's a reason that startup founders are not called startup entrepreneurs because mm. their focus is to start a business. They're called startup founders. That's their job is to build that startup. And when they've built Uber and then they start something else, maybe then they'll think of themselves as an entrepreneur. But up till that point, they're the founder of that business. So that's kind of what I'm getting at with it. And I think it's fascinating to me. Like if you build an audience and sell affiliate items to that audience and you do nothing else, you're not an entrepreneur, you're an affiliate marketer. Nothing mm. wrong with that at all, but let's not sell courses to people on entrepreneurship when you are an affiliate marketer. There's nothing wrong with being that, but let's just own it and call it what it is. If you take that affiliate, and I'm just using this as an example because a lot of this is what a lot of people see as an entrepreneur. If you then take what you've made as an affiliate marketer and spin up three other businesses in tech, in hardware, in software, whatever, philanthropic outlets, whatever. And three years down the line, you can look back and say, wow, that was quite entrepreneurial, actually. Then you're the entrepreneur. So that's the point. You said they stole that back. Don't chase the tag. That's what annoys me is like people leave money on the table because they're too busy putting books that they've read on Instagram. I don't care whether or not you read the four hour work week 50 times a month. It does not make you an <laughs> entrepreneur. It does not. Like just go and make the money first. So yeah, I've got to be in my body on that one. <laughs> no, man, I feel you. And I think people are often chasing the flavor of the week. They constantly are adjusting and changing and completely doing something completely different. It's fine to test and to tweak and to make adjustments, but it's a whole other thing to say, oh no, I'm doing something completely different and all for the purpose of being this title of an entrepreneur, which That's I fully it. get. In a minute, we're going to get into the marketing side. Before we do, one of your earlier interviews, maybe about a year after you started, you talked about how podcasting helped you as a human being, helped you be a better communicator. In many ways, it was like therapy. It improved your attitude and general mood. Why is that? Dude, can I just say, you are by far the best interviewer that I've ever done a podcast with. Like The fact that you've done that research is unbelievable. I'm humbled. Thank you. And I've done like 1,200 episodes of podcast, man, and this is by far the best interview ever. So fair play, dude. This is awesome. Yeah, it was... Well, in fact, I totally forgot the question now I've said that. No, just, it's just I'm the, the worst interviewee. No, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I'll take it. It's the therapeutic nature of podcasting and your ability to communicate and your ability to elevate your mood, maybe not be as harsh to... To, and even your marriage, you've, you've highlighted that, mm. you know, it helped in that way too. Well, do you know that the irony of that was I ended up getting divorced. Right. That's, I said it was a long time ago. Yeah. But it did help with the time. This is the beautiful thing about it. And this is why it's fascinating is that 
like it all helped me with that. Like it was, so what's fascinating with this, like it's an entire journey because it did, it, it, it helped the entire marriage from a, a, an up and a down perspective. But the thing is, it helps you internally. Now, podcasting is very cathartic. It doesn't matter what you talk about. You become a better communicator and you become very aware of what you're thinking and how you're thinking it. And it becomes, it becomes very easy to define between what bluster you're putting out there and what you actually believe. And because the things that you repeat are the things that you generally believe. It's hard to repeat something if you don't really believe it, because it becomes very clear that you can only go surface deep. Whereas if you truly believe it, you can go for hours and you can talk as much as you want on it. And you can talk about different perspectives and different angles. And that's what podcasting brings out. So I went through this whole, you know, marriage, figuring out why it wasn't working, like trying to figure out how to sort that. And I've never, ever spoken. This is testament to how good you are as an interviewer. I've never once spoken about this. And the point is that it helps. It helped me to figure out what is the genuine thought process? Like, and this has all come from being a communicator through podcasting. Why is it up? Why is it down? What in what way should I try and fix it? And why has it not worked how I expected it to do? And, and and a lot of this thought process came from podcasting because what podcasting has done for me was be able to help me distill those thoughts down in a very quick and easy way. To take that a little bit further, it's very difficult to commit to something on a podcast that you don't believe in. And I think when you come from sort of a background like like I had, you know, I didn't, I, there was not that much money. It come, I come from an old mining town and a lot of it was very much keeping up appearances, you know, and you know what, you know, we've all been there where on the surface it looks great, but actually deep down it's not. And there are so many times in life, you know, whether it's from a, a work perspective or from a marriage perspective where it looks great, but it's really, really not. And what podcasting has taught me to do is really distill down what I'm thinking and how that feels and have the confidence to say, do you know what? I think this thing for these reasons, and that portion of people are not going to like it, but this portion of people will. And that like when I was going through the whole, the dissolution of the marriage and everything that went along with that, it was very, like, if I'd not been a podcaster, I know it sounds really contrived and really weird, but had I not done this and had the resilience to take the one star review and the email and subscribes from the list and people say you're crap. But then for every one person saying you're crap, you get a hundred people saying, this is great. Can you help us a little bit more with it? I don't know if I could have gone through that process confidently because I'd have always been second guessing. So it's amazing some of the tenuous link that you make in your mind and the confidence that comes from just being able to just have a platform that no one can really take away from you. But I will, what I will add to that is that you've got to, you've got to have an air of adaptability. You know, there's a difference between being confident and having your opinions and standing by them and becoming very open and, and, and transparent and so on. There's a difference between all of that stuff and just being stubborn in your beliefs. Mm-hmm. So I think it's fascinating, man. That is an excellent question. I, I genuinely haven't ever spoken about that at all. So I think that's, yeah, that's fascinating, dude. Yeah, really, really good. And I, I think it's, podcasting is vital for, if you're in podcasting, you see how vital it is to your self-development, I think. It really is. And I hadn't even thought about it in the way in which you described it, which is why I brought up the question. So thank you for sharing that and for sharing what you just shared with me. This wasn't a, a planned question, but you described in your TED talk being like any good introvert walking the opposite direction of the girl <laughs> that you liked. You said it a lot more eloquently than I just did. But how do you describe yourself now? Uh, you know, Are you still an introvert? Were, were you just an introvert as a kid? Are you now? And some people go back and forth. So I'm just curious how you describe yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I'm, I'm sort of a, a functioning introvert. I've done thousands of podcast episodes. I've spoken on hundreds and hundreds of stages, everything from a TEDx to Harvard to speaking on stages in front of thousands of people. I've been in bands where I've performed in front of like 18, 20,000 people. And I'm a wild introvert. Like I want nothing more to be sat in this room just reading a book. And at conferences, like the last thing I want to be doing is going to the party. And I've mm. like doing like Pat Flynn recorded me doing karaoke, playing bass on stage with like a karaoke band, and I was like, we were just I was, we were just having a drink about it, and I was like, dude, you wouldn't believe how different that is to what I'm actually like, and it was surprising to all the people that see me at conferences when I describe myself as that, and I think I was talking about this just just randomly earlier on, the I think this sort of a willpower threshold. So what I mean by that is I think that I've got a threshold of willpower that I can put into being the extroverted side of me. And then I get like, when that's depleted, I need to go and disappear for a little bit. I think it's part of being a business owner, you know, being a business owner, especially in an industry where we, you know, we work in podcasting every day. We building software for podcasters means we're around extroverts, but we're also around introverts every day. And I think for me, it's being the speaker on stage. It's a function of the business aspect of my life, being the person in a band playing bass on stage in front of 18, 19, 20,000 people, it's a function of my creative side. But the core part of me is very genuinely introverted. And it's a, that took a long time to figure out because it was like, you've got to be one or the other. And if you're an introvert, you're an introvert. Whereas if you're an extrovert, you have to always be extroverted. And it took a long time to find the nuance in that. And it's only since I started attending like podcast movement and speaking on the stages that I realized that it's all right to have a, 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 a willpower pot that you deplete and then you come back and refill. So it's fascinating stuff. It's like a video game almost, a character in a video game. They have a certain power. They have their extrovert power or whatever. You deplete that and then you got to build it back up. I think that's a really interesting way of framing it. And to transition a bit, one of the things that you talk about with regards to podcasting is this concept of people being on what you call it the hamster wheel. I'm going to call it the creation hamster wheel because they spend 90% of their time making the product. And mm. then whatever scraps are left over, call it 10% in this case, is spent on the marketing. And you advocate for flipping that on its head because like most things, marketing is vital for the success of a podcast. Can you talk a little bit about why you believe that to be true, which I totally agree? And then what's the first step somebody should take to begin using more of their time on what matters most, which is the marketing side? Yeah, good question, man. So it's, I think there's all, we're always on a hamster wheel for something. It's often the thing that we enjoy doing the most. Like No one ever gets into podcasting to be a marketer. Like I've got a Star Wars podcast because I love Star Wars. So right. I'm like, yes, I happen to also be a marketer, but I don't get into a Star Wars podcast to market that podcast. I get into that podcast to make that podcast because I bloody love Star Wars. So you think to yourself, well, why, you know, why, why is my audience not growing? It's because no one tells you all of this other stuff. No one tells you this extra stuff that you need to do. So what we do is we get into this hamster wheel of creation, like you said, and it's because that's the bit that we love. The reason we, we start doing our business is because we love doing the thing, the output part of the business. We don't enjoy doing the sales and the invoicing, the chasing and the marketing and the ads. We don't enjoy any of that stuff. What we enjoy is the output. You know, the electrician likes the electrics, the plumber likes the plumbing, and the creator likes the creating. But it only takes you so far. 
I think that then becomes a bit of a challenge for people because then you'd be sort of come to this fork in the road. Mm -hmm. Do I remain the creator and accept that this is my level and I will only ever hit this audience until maybe something happens. I get a bit of a feature in CNN, whatever, you know, someone comes along and, and something happens to me that elevates me, but I don't actively seek it out. Am I happy to do that? Or do I come to the fork in the road, go the other way and decide that actually the creation is only one part of it. And I'm going to learn to upskill or I'm going to invest more time. And if you, if you go that way, the problem that that then brings, of course, is that it becomes a time thing. So you've got to figure out how to open more time up, whether that is an example, and this is not a plug, but like with some using a Captivate, which is our hosting platform for podcasters, like you can use that to automate a lot of your stuff through Zapier. So all the promotion stuff, just automate that stuff. Because what you've got to do is buy yourself time. We're not getting any more time. There is no more time. So we've got to find ways to buy us a bit of space and then have the willpower to use that space to further the skills gaps and the knowledge gaps that we have. So as an example of that, it might be, look, do you know what? I spend 25 minutes every single day that I publish an episode writing tweets for my episode. Instead of doing that, I'm going to use Captivate. I'm going to link it to Zapier. I'm going to set five zaps up that delay the timers and that set five tweets up for me that tweet out at delayed intervals right through to Twitter. That saves me 25 minutes. In that 25 minutes, I'm going to read this book by John Janch on how to become a better search engine optimizer so that my podcast gets surfaced to more people in my niche. And it's, it's having the wherewithal to create the space and then the willingness to use that space to actually learn some new stuff. And that sadly, like that's what podcasters don't do. They just simply, they just simply don't do it. And I understand why, because it's uncomfortable. Like no one gets into podcasting to be a marketer. Why would I want to learn marketing? Like that's a career. That's hard. You know? <laughs> so, but the little things you can do to, to up level. So that, I think that's what people need to be doing much more of. Well, and one of the things you've described is you have this allotment of time, right? Call it five hours a week if you have a full-time job or even 10 hours a week. And if eight hours of the week go to creating the podcast, when you count editing and all the different factors, you're left with two hours a week. And what you're suggesting is figure out ways to extract some of those time. Maybe you have somebody help editing. Maybe you have a, an automation tool. Maybe you have something that will give you some of that time back. And then with that time, and I love this, study, learn how to do these mm -hmm. things and then apply them. And by the way, I will plug captivate.fm and then forward slash marketing is a wealth. If, if you're going to go study something, go study this wealth of marketing wisdom to get your podcast. I mean, there's just, it's a, it's a treasure chest full of ideas to help your podcast. And I would love to go through each one of those but you could do it on your own. You don't need us to talk about that. Go to captivate.fm forward slash marketing. And then also I'll plug it now too. Your YouTube channel is a wealth. Mm. So Rebel Base Media, you, you're talking to the camera. You're getting out of your introverted shell and you're sharing with people all of the magic that's helped you in your shows. One of the things that you do is you make it, what Captivate does is you're the only growth oriented host. And that's one of the, the clear brand identity features of your platform is that you really do focus on the growth, whether that be analytics or whether that be the actual making it easy for people and, and even embedded into your player, you have one button click. Can you talk a little bit about the, the thought behind that? Because I really, I mean, you could call this a plug. I call this smart. So let's talk about what you're, <laughs> what you're doing with the embedded player. 
Well, thanks, mate. I appreciate that one. And it's props to Rach, who works with us at, at Captivate on the Captivate product for the, the marketing piece. She's fantastic with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, Captivate from a growth orientation, orientation, oriented perspective is, yeah. you know, we built Captivate for ourselves. I built Captivate with Kieran because I'm the podcaster that wanted the stuff we built. And it was, it's one of those things where it's just like, why, why does this stuff not already exist? And what we try and do, the ethos that we've got with Captivate overall, which then links in obviously to, to the player and the fact that you can have the calls to action in the player and, and you know everything that goes with it, is that to be a growth-focused platform, all we need to do is one of a couple of things. Either specifically give you things to help you to grow your show, single subscription links, links in your podcast player, deep dive comparison analysis on your analytics for your podcast, or we've got to take some of the weight to give you some time to do the stuff that I mentioned earlier, create the space, decide where you want to learn, aka things like launching the Zapier integration, launching the things like the email lead magnet integration that we built into websites version two. Like, I don't want you to worry about how do I create a lead magnet and link it all. I don't want you to have to care about that. Just click the button, link it up. That's it. Because that gives you the time to focus on it. So all of this stuff is intended to fulfill one of those promises, which is we will either take some of the weight or we will give you a tool that will take some of the weight for you that you can use to kind of further the podcast. So when it comes to things like the, you know, the embeddable players with the links and so on and so forth, it was just really because... Why would I not tell people, if you're listening on a website or if you're listening on Twitter, click the links button and you'll see a link already to my lead magnet or to my email list or to whatever, my affiliate Donate. Link. Yeah, donate. That's a, a great example, Billy. Yeah, so just a donate button to Patreon or wherever. It was just a no-brainer that what we don't want people to have to do is go, hey, by the way, I got a Patreon and it's this long link to Patreon and it's a bit awkward to remember. You're making it easier. You're just you're streamlining it. And it was a total no-brainer. You know, it, it was a kind of no-brainer to get that in there. Like, I don't know why people didn't put it in there before. Like, when we built it in, it was... A lot of people really love that. And I was like, really? Like, that's... It's like the easy bit, you know, because, but then it's just no one's doing it. So I think a lot of things with tools, Billy, like build a platform out and you build something that you want people to use to help them. A lot of it is just kind of not being lazy with your thought process. It's what does Billy need? Not what is easier for Mark and Kieran to build. It's what does Billy actually need day to day? And that empathy goes a long way. And I believe, so what we start to see in podcasting, like we could get deep on this. We don't, well not, but we could get deep on this where, you know, you're seeing podcasting now, so many startups coming in because guess what? Someone reported on the BBC and on The Verge, it's a billion dollar industry. Uh-uh. Founders woke up, they want to make startups in podcasting. Mm-hmm. The problem is that they've not spent the time being podcasters. So they're, you know, they're sellotaping and blue tacking things together that solve problems that don't really exist. Whereas you and me on the ground, we know what the problems are because we podcast every week, every day. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that is, I think it's fascinating in, in every type of niche, every type of platform, every type of software is that the ones that rise to the top is why Apple are so good. Do they have the best phones? Probably not. But the cool thing is that I can give it to my little nephew and he knows how to work it without me even showing him or even giving him instructions or he knows how to work. It. And that is what the empathy does. Mm. That's what the difference is. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's so much we can talk about on that from whatever business you're building, you know, having the empathy for the customer will it will give you a better product. And that's why the Captivate player is like it is. Mm-hmm. Well, it's no wonder that Apple calls Captivate the Apple of podcast hosts. I want to talk about a concept called the discoverability triangle. I was fascinated by this. Can you share what that is? 
Yeah, so this is like a visual concept to make sense of some abstract ideas. So we talked about podcast marketing and what people think of with marketing is, in fact, I'm doing a talk at Podcast Movement tomorrow on this. We think about podcast marketing as, okay, here's the podcast. So here's this podcast that I've published and I'm going to market this one episode of a podcast and I'm going to just tweet about it. I'm going to share it on my Insta, my Facebook and so on and so forth. Back to the content hamster wheel. When I produce the next episode of content, I'm going to do the same thing again which is to just keep cycling and just tweeting about that particular episode. So it becomes like this block of cyclical content. Every time you release an episode, you go through the same process. And it doesn't really work mm. because all of the marketing concepts we understand to be true. They're not present in that process. Getting someone to know, like, and trust you, getting someone's attention, interest, desire, and getting them to take out all the tropes and the cliches that we understand from marketing books simply don't exist in that marketing process. Because it's transient, it's quick. So this podcast discoverability triangle forms this kind of trifecta of marketing, overall marketing strategies that I believe all podcasters can employ to build their audience. And it's a three-point plan. Point one is do that, what I've just talked about. When you release an episode, do stuff to promote that episode. Of course, do that stuff. But in particular, build stuff into that marketing that allows you, Billy, to share my episode or me, like how how this will be the only episode of podcast at guesting, the only interview that I've done in 2020 that I will share because of how good you are as an interviewer. And it will it will simply be the only one that I share this year. Everyone else, I'll just be like, yeah, great, thanks for having me, but I'll not share it because it'll get lost on Twitter and so on. But I'll make a concerted effort with this one. So what you've done is you've hit the mark. You've done that one point of the triangle. You've made me care enough to want to share it, all right? So that's a tick in a box. But the other two concepts are a little bit kind of higher level when it comes to like marketing strategy. And the goal of this is to have something that's not transient. So you don't just market an episode. So I go live on your podcast for a week, you'll market it great. And then the week after you market the next guest, brilliant stuff. The other two concepts are, what about if we could open up? I like Star Wars. I've got a podcast about Star Wars. I know that there's a guy next door to me who absolutely loves Star Wars, but he has got absolutely no idea what the heck a podcast is. So what about if I created a marketing campaign that taught people the stuff that they already love, they can get more of. It just so happens to be part of this new fangled on-demand audio called podcasting, and here's how you get to it. So that's a marketing campaign that I can always run. And guess what? I and my show happens to be the example in the marketing that I use. Hey, you know, Richard next door, you like Star Wars? That's pretty badass. Guess what? Did you know there's a medium that's on-demand audio? It's a bit like radio. It's a bit like Netflix, but it's for audio stuff. You can get Star Wars content on your way to work in your car. Look, here's how easy it is to search for this, for example, Star Wars show called Sparker Rebellion. Boom. So that's marketing. And that's, that's strand two of the triangle. The third one is... Turn that around. People that know about podcasting say, okay, you listen to Billy's podcast. Billy's in Star Wars. He's got a Star Wars show. You don't know about my podcast, all right? People listen to, on average, seven podcasts or subscribe to about seven podcasts, right. right? Wouldn't it be cool if one of those was mine and one of them was yours? You know, there are five other slots. We don't care about those, but I want to be one of those slots with you. So start to think about how you can market to people that know about podcasts but don't know about you. And that's the triangle. That's a triangle. Market to people that know about podcasts but don't know about you. Market to people that love what you talk about but don't know about podcasts. And then tell people about your episodes. But in particular, this is what you're doing very, very, very well, is make the person either that you're guesting with or the person that's listening care enough 
about each episode that they are willing to pass it on to one or more people. Mm. And that is the triangle. That's the three point plan. And those who do it well, look at Wondery, look at the people that do this well. That's what they do. That's what they do every day. But us, us independent podcasters, we just don't do it. It's a great concept and I, I wish more people would do it. Thank you for sharing that. And I think when you think about it, if you create something that other people will feel compelled to share, that's really one of the most valuable things a, a podcast can have is the shareability factor. And it, there's lots of ways you could create that. You could create that by asking good questions. You could create that by having a great product. You could create that by asking questions they haven't ever been asked before, or maybe share topics that they felt passionate about, and then make it super easy for them too by creating these assets that are ready to go plug and play where they don't have to think. I think you have a whole video on on the guest and how to make sure that you take care of the guests. You, you don't bombard them with a million things that they have to do and hoops they have to jump through to be on your show. You don't make it difficult when they're on your show and you certainly don't make it, you got to treat them like royalty. It's white glove service. And the better experience they have, the more likely they are to want to share. Yeah, it's true, man. And the key thing is like, just treat people like a human. The amount of requests I get to be on shows where it's like, if you want to be a guest, you got to review the show on iTunes or put, and I'm like, no, I don't want to be on your show. Then. I don't care who you are. Why would I do that? That's silly. There are so many podcast hosts that get a little bit arrogant with this. Just because you can talk into a microphone and people have the ability to listen doesn't mean you're anything special. And the key thing is to remember that you're only special to the people that you're special to because you've not been like that. You've been a real person. You've spent time to get to know them. You know, you, you imagine walking into a bar and it's like, yeah, you want to open the door up and the, you know, the bar opens and the bouncer on the front of the bar says, yeah, you dress fine. Seems all right. Suits the dress code. You're not too drunk. We'll let you in. But you can't come in unless your reviewer's on TripAdvisor. You'll be like, all right, no sweat. <laughs> See you later. Go next door. <laughs> and that's what we do as podcasters. A lot of people get like that. They get a little bit too big for the boots when just because they can press record and no one's told them that they can't doesn't mean they're the next letterman. And that's we've got to stay humble with that stuff and remember that the podcast the second i've said this before on the on the show that the second someone listens to your podcast it stops being your podcast it's it's our podcast it's theirs and it's ours because they're all stakeholders and we've got to remember that so we've got to be humble with it Mm, I like that perspective. Well, Mark, I want to say thank you for your time. You could find Mark, first of all, his his business, Rebel Based Media is rebelbasedmedia.io. His hosting platform that they make is captivate.fm. And again, it has the call to action in the embeddable player, the one-click sponsor kits, the single subscription link, audience avatar analytics, the marketing section. I mean, it's a very robust platform made by podcasters for podcasters. So check that out. He's also on Twitter, Mr. Asquith, A-S-Q-U-I-T-H. Your personal website is markasquith.com, A-S-Q-U-I-T-H.com. What am I missing, my friend? Well, that is it, Billy. I think you've covered everything there. I'm, I'm at Mr. Asquith on everything, but uh, yeah, just give me a tweet if anyone's got any questions. Just I'm always up for engaging. I'm in a good chat on Twitter, but dude, this is legit. The uh, it's, it's one of the, uh, the 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 most well presented and well placed interviews I've ever done. So congrats on that. I think you're a fantastic host, man. Well played. I'm learning every day and trying to do what you just said, which is remain humble. So my first guest, I know you interviewed him, was Jordan Harbinger, and he says, <laughs> you know, research is everything for him, and I'm just. I'm following in the footsteps of giants and trying to learn every day. I've learned a ton 
from you. And I'm so grateful for all the amazing work you're putting out there. Go check out Mark's YouTube channel. As I said earlier, there is so much gold there. So Mark, I'm really grateful for you being on the show and thanks for being on for the love of podcasts. It is my sincere pleasure, Billy. Thank you so much. Stop. Don't leave yet. If you made it this far, please listen for just one more minute because I have something to tell you. I can't tell you how much it means that you took the time to listen, and I really hope you enjoyed this episode. So what do I want to tell you? I want to let you know that I'm here to serve you. If you have suggestions, ideas, possible guests, show topics, anything you'd like me to cover on future episodes, please let me know by sending feedback to for the love of podcast forward slash feedback. I want this to be a two-way street, not just me talking. I want to know what you want from this show. Ultimately, you will help decide what this show is and how it best serves you to make better podcasts. If you like this show, let me be blunt. The best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platforms. This is so important and it will help so much, especially during these early days as the show gets started. One more ask please consider sharing this show with your friends on social media to help spread the word. All right, that's it. Until next time, please remember everything we do, we do it for the love of podcasts.